The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another not-so-fun-filled but oddly exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. This is Ben, and, you know, I think for the foreseeable future, this is what we're kind of calling the new normal, man, as we are going to talk about it later in this episode. Yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, because honestly, I think we have some good information that maybe hopefully will quell some of the people's fears and insecurities. So I hope that's a good thing for us to do. Sadly enough, I think the fact that we have to do this in the first place is the sad part of the new normal, but it is what it is. This is where we're at. Uh, We're here to provide education to healthcare and non-healthcare alike. So we wanted to do some more mini COVID updates. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, I think we're going to kind of just do these sporadically as new information comes out or if we feel like we need to get something out. And we're still going to try to be the same, you know, humorous, sarcastic assholes that we normally are. But I mean, there's still legitimate, you know, concerns and stuff that we will still discuss as we continue to see this ever changing situation. You know, I kind of chuckled the other day, one of the local colleges when they canceled everything, they used the phrase, you know, the faculty are remaining on campus to kind of help as students work through this new reality. And I kind of chuckled and I thought, well, it's not really into reality because, you know, this is just a temporary thing, but to kind of go along with the new normal, I mean, to some extent, a lot of things we're experiencing now are, is, has become the new reality. I think it's the new reality because people are only looking at what's happening to them now. And we are lacking a real foresight to see that, while I don't think COVID is going away, I think this is like seasonal flu doesn't go away in two weeks, you know, so I don't think right. that COVID is going away. And again, for those that didn't catch our last episode or those that are just trying us out for this episode, coronavirus, Wuhan coronavirus, whatever this new infection is called where you're at, we chose to use COVID or COVID-19 because that's the official designation of it by the CDC World Health Organization. So that's what we're talking about. When we say COVID. So if you didn't know, now you know. But while I don't think that this is going to go away anytime soon, I think there's a lack of foresight to say that, you know, three to four months from now, this may not be where we're at. So when people are just resetting their modulation and saying, oh, well, now I have to live like this, you don't. There is an end goal in sight. There is a reason, and I think that's part of why we wanted to do this mini update. We can't do updates as much as we want, or we'd have to be putting out a podcast every hour. Hey, think of the downloads we'd get. I mean, we'd be all up to like 14. Um, so. <laughs> 21, baby. There you go. We're at those multiples of seven. <laughs> so, and no, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how often we'll put out episodes for COVID updates. We're going to call them all bonus episodes because it's kind of a, it's a deviation from our normal set, the way we do things where we banter and stories you may have missed and then a main topic. I mean, obviously, this is dominating everybody's mind. And so that's why we wanted to continue to try to be the voice of 
some knowledge and hopefully some calming reason as well. Exactly. While we want to be educational and fun, and I hope that we will still put out regular episodes, if we really want to be the voice of mid-level practitioners, nurse practitioners, PAs, etc., and give out this information that's educational to our colleagues and to those that listen that are non-healthcare, I think we have to kind of do updates, if not regularly, yeah. but every so often. And like I said, we could do another one tomorrow. If something big happens tomorrow, or it might be another three or four days. Who knows? But when we know something or we think it's important, we will get it out to you. Exactly. So I guess, you know, well, one of I, the first things, go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, so do you want me to start with some of the statistics that were That's- updated today? You were like a mind meld oh, there. Yes. I, I mind meld. So let me pull up. So as of today, and this is actually, it's almost like time travel because it's worth doing this in the United States. And I'm getting an updated list from March 19th, but it's still March 18th here for us. But around the world, you know. So you have tomorrow's statistics today. Technically, yes. I I have uh, updated statistics from around the world where it's March 19th. Currently, there are 219,101 cases around the world with, unfortunately, 8,962 deaths. But that is in the entire world. As of today for the United States, from the CDC, and our numbers are coming from reputable spots. Like, we're not making this up, but we didn't just Google a number. These are from World Health Organizations, uh, medical journals, or the CDC. Uh, The U.S. total today was 7,038 with a total of 97 deaths so far around here. So to put that in some perspective. Ben pointed out something and I whipped out my trusty calculator. This isn't in Texas Instruments, though I wish I still had a graphing one of those. It'd be cool. So for the world, that means approximately this is affected 0.0003% of the world. Yeah, that's a lot of zeros. Um, In the United States, it's 0.0002%. By the way, that's rounding up. So For those that are like, oh, my God, I have got to buy every roll of toilet paper on the Internet, please calm down. That would be the first thing I'd ask. I would agree. I think people do need to calm down. And, uh, you know, while you probably do need some supplies in case you you are afflicted with it and have to quarantine for, you know, anywhere from, uh, you know, seven to 14 days, kind of depending on symptoms. I mean, it's certainly not 9,000 rolls of toilet paper and 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, that's just kind of overwhelming. And then you're kind of actually hurting other people because that's not available for them. So I did see some information just on that, just some, I guess this is the entertainment, like the news gossip tabloid section, I guess, of the COVID-19 update. The gentleman that basically hijacked over 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer with the idea of gouging people for it um, was tracked down by his state organization. And if you don't know, I'll let you look it up. I don't want to give out too many specifics here, you know, for legal issues, but basically he was found all of his hand sanitizer was confiscated and he then made the decision to donate it. That was after I believe the state attorney general's office of that state became involved. So I have a feeling he was recommended to start giving back some of that hand sanitizer before 
legal issues were involved. So score one for the good guys on that one. Yeah, I'm sure that those organizations, long-term care facilities, hospitals, whatever the case may be within that state, I'm sure greatly appreciative of the 17,000 bottles of fam sanitizer that have been donated now. So, And not only that, I would tell anybody that is worried about hand sanitizer. It is very useful. You should be using it. However, what I would point out is that there really isn't also a replacement for good old fashioned soap and water hand washing. So if you're that worried about hand sanitizer, maybe you could just, you know, spend 30 seconds and wash your hands. That would also be a very effective means, uh, actually more effective means of protecting yourself. There was actually a video that I posted on my personal Facebook page. Alton Brown from Good Eats broke down Good Eats style hand washing and the importance of hand washing and how it actually causes the virus shell to break down and then is attached to the soap and then therefore washed off your hands. Um, So maybe we can throw that up on our JSP page too. That would be fantastic. Some of the other things we want to cover in this episode, just to give you a quick heads up, is we're going to talk about some of the treatment issues that we have run into, not we personally, but that we are seeing updates on. And then uh, we thought we would talk about uh, everyone's afraid or there seems to be two camps right now. And there's two outside camps. I think there's the majority of us that are down the middle that are like, okay, wash your hands, cough into your arm stay away from people. Unfortunately, there is a wide ranging spectrum and to either wing, there is the people that believe that this is a hoax and they're putting people's lives at risk and people's health at risk because they are taking no precautions. And then on the other end of the spectrum are the people that are literally listening to us from a bunker on a throne of paper towels and toilet paper. You don't need to be in either one of those camps. I promise. Okay. There is a middle ground that is effective at protecting yourself and your loved ones and does not screw over the people in your community. Like there, there is a good middle ground. That's where we need to find people. And then what else were we going to talk about? Well, I mean, that's pretty much all of it. The good stuff. Did you have something else I forgot already? I didn't think so. I just wasn't sure. You had the list. I didn't. So I do have the list. That's primarily where where we're at. I just hope that some people listen to this and understand. And and unfortunately, some of the information we, to be fair, we will talk about it more with each topic individually. But some of this is coming from healthcare professionals, and I'm using that term loosely. If they're posting some of this, that is just flat incorrect. And so we're hoping to dispel some of that information. I hope that it's just fear and that's what's causing them to not think with their healthcare brain as opposed to just putting stuff out there. And I'm not calling out, of course, anybody specifically. I'm just talking people in general uh, that are in the healthcare field because, I mean, it is a scary situation to to think about, you know, particularly if you're, you know, have any comorbidities or asthmatic like myself. You know, it's a it's definitely something that raises an ire of concern just in general. A- absolutely. And it should. And again, I think that's where we have stood this entire time is that this is something that we should be paying attention to. This is something that should be taken seriously. However, as far as I know, there have been zero r- reported case of anybody turning into a zombie or anything else that we happening from this that we know that of. we know of. 
And it gets very difficult when people are becoming so outlandish and you're trying to give them some, this is the truth. Here's some ground information. And they have gone so far into left field that they no longer can hear that. So I'm hoping we reach the masses in the middle and we make them a smaller minority on both sides and yeah. we, we can whittle that down. So let's get started. Let's talk about some issues with treatment that I think would be important for both the healthcare professionals or the non-healthcare professionals that may be treated with this. So the two main things that I have been asked or heard about most in the recent period since our last update was on the use of NSAIDs, which mm -hmm. are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Which are going to be your ibuprofen, naproxens, uh, you know, things of that nature, yeah. For non-healthcare. Yes. And then uh, steroids. Steroids that are used routinely in the treatment of some respiratory conditions. So the first thing I would say is we do not have, we'll, we'll talk about NSAIDs. So the very first thing is there has been some information put out by, well, specifically France put out something saying that NSAIDs should not be used in conjunction with the treatment of symptoms related to COVID, because I think it's also important to remind people there is no drug to treat COVID. Right. They're not trying to make one. All right. There is no drug to to fix COVID. They're working on a vaccine, but there isn't an antibiotic or anything that could fix COVID. If you have it, what we're going to suggest is treatment of the symptoms. Yes. When I taught pathophysiology to uh, brand new little nurslings, one of the things that I stressed multiple times, and they could probably quote verbatim by the end of the semester was, we can't cure viruses. We can treat viruses. We, you can get over viruses, but we cannot cure them. There is no cure for this virus. There's no cure for influenza. There's no cure for the common cold. We treat the symptoms. We treat the symptoms. And for those of you that are going, well, what about drugs such as valcyclovir or Tamiflu? Those drugs do not treat the virus in the way that you are assuming an antibiotic treats an ear infection. Right. What those drugs do is they stop the replication of the virus. So the virus that's in you is alive and it's going to be doing its thing. And there's not a lot we can do about that except support your symptoms. That's the entire point of starting those drugs. I thought I thought of a good analogy just now. It just popped in my brain. Tell me what you think about this for our non-medical people. So, you know, you work at the office and you always got that one person who inadvertently tries to fax something and then they make a copy like 9,999 times. And so it's just copying over and over and over and over. Those medications that Tom mentioned, valcyclovir, Tamiflu, things of that nature, are basically like putting the stop button on the copy machine. We're trying to slow down that replication. We're not treating that or we're not curing that, that virus. Perfect. And going along with that analogy, let's say it's halfway through and you now have 40,000 copies. So you could stop it before it gets to the 99, but those 40,000 copies still exist. Yeah. So that, that's what we do with those. Yeah. See, that's a great analogy. Way to go. Look at the brain on Ben. So that's, um, so that's, that's the basics of that. So what the fear is, is that in some way, the mechanism of action that NSAIDs work to help make you feel better will make you more susceptible to the disease process in COVID. Officially, from the European Medical Agency, the CDC, and the World Health Organization, that is no. 
you could still use NSAIDs as supportive care for body aches, fevers, etc., which is what we would commonly use them for, for like, say, influenza or the common cold. However, France has decided to put out a stop and suggest that they are not used. So you're not getting completely inaccurate information if you heard someone say, well, I read this. But so far, all the other people studying this have said, no, they have not found a link between worsening of symptoms or worsening of the disease process linked with insects. Yeah. So just to kind of give you some more background on what Tom's saying. So it was the French health minister in a tweet that uh, sparked all this. He warned people not to take NZs because they felt that some French COVID-19 patients had experienced serious side effects. But as Tom said, the European Medicines Agency issued a statement saying there's currently no scientific evidence establishing a link between ibuprofen and worsening of COVID-19. The World Health Organization came out and said after a rapid review of literature, they are not aware of any published clinical or population-based data on this topic. There are a few media outlets out there that are reporting the WHO is now advising against the use of ibuprofen to treat fevers in patients with COVID-19 symptoms. And as of an hour ago, their spokesman said that is not true. So even our most up-to-date, including one hour ago, says it's still a go. Obviously, if you're worried about it, this is what I would suggest. And Ben and I were talking about this off the mic. If it's bothering you, then don't use it. There are, Tylenol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are other medicines to use. Use them. If you don't want to use an NSAID just to be safe, identify what an NSAID is. We give you some of the more common ones. Don't take them. It's a very simple process. Maybe that French health minister has stock in the Tylenol company. I wish I could I, say I, acetaminophen I, with a cool French accent, but I can't. Right. And obviously I'd say that in jest. Um, uh, so the other one that Tom had mentioned alluded to earlier was corticosteroids. So we use those for asthma and we use those for lots of other things, poison IVs. I mean, there's lots of indications for use for corticosteroids. However, based on interim guidance released from the World Health Organization, March 13th, in their paper, Clinical Management of Severe Acute Respiratory Infection, or sorry, with COVID-19 diseases suspected, their recommendation is to not use uh, systemic corticosteroids for treatment of viral pneumonia outside of clinical trials. They're basically saying that there's no benefit and there's more potential harm for using the steroids as opposed to not using the steroids. Yes, so... We don't have a 100% study rate on COVID-19 and steroids at this point in time. Right. What their background is, is they did do this with SARS or uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome or MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which, by the way, had like around a 10% fatality rate. So much more fatal than anything we're dealing with currently. And they found corticosteroids might exacerbate lung injuries etc related to those disease processes so what they're saying is hey there's likely a component that is similar to this or that's what they're afraid of so to be safe as a routine practice we are not going to be giving steroids however having said that there are specific cases and specific situations if you hear that your loved one has been put on a steroid thank you i was going to say that i was going to say specifically if they're intubated they're in an icu and they're under the care of a pulmonologist which is a lung doctor for 
lack of a better term, or an intensivist, which is intensivist. Yeah, yeah, an intensivist, which is a doctor that has a fellowship training in ICU work. If they are administering steroids, it's one thing to ask them if there's a reason. It's another thing to demand them to stop. Okay, so let's just be clear. If a trained physician with specific and special fellowship education in the treatment of your loved one, which may be in an ICU or receiving breathing treatments in a administered hospital setting and they are getting steroids, do not stop them. Yeah. Okay. Don't run they, in they, screaming that Ben and Tom from Just Some Podcast said no. That was yes. No, we don't. Don't run in. Yeah, do not put that voodoo on us, Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> do not go in there and say, well, I read one time on the internet. It's not going to go well. And as a matter of fact, you will probably end up injuring your loved one worse. So let's be clear for those of us, those of us on the front line. If you have a suspected COVID-19 infection, you should not be using corticosteroids as a routine matter of treatment. Right. That's all we're saying. He has mild symptoms where they're not in the hospital, where they're going to recover. Don't give them steroids. Pretty simple. Hospitalization is an entirely different ballgame. Yeah. So. Yes. Once the patient is intubated and they are (laughs) under the care of a respiratory therapist, an ICU nurse, and an intensivist slash pulmonologist, let them do their thing. Okay. They are doing something to try to save your loved one. All right, Tom, I can't take care of treatment. Yes. Do what? Well, that takes care of treatment. So, will that take care of treatment? For tonight's episode. Yeah. yeah right, there you go. right. Let's get into the fun stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the first things I want to address that I've seen all over the place, I see it coming in my office. I'm sure you do as well. Uh, I see it in grocery stores, walking down the street, masks. Yes. Let me say this again, and this is based off information out of China, South Korea, Iran, Japan, the CDC, the World Health Organization, everybody that is studying this and trying to keep you alive. The mask will not do anything to protect you if you are without symptoms or you are not infected. I shouldn't say not anything. It is a negligible risk mitigation technique. It is not going to do anything. And realistically, what you're doing is you are eating up resources that could be used by the people that are at a higher risk is all you're really doing. No. Yeah. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, there are a few immunocompromised people that I have talked to that have asked if I need to go into Walmart to pick up something. Is it okay if I wear a mask? You know, if you have significant COPD problems like that, I tell them, yes, you need to social distance and not hang out in large crowds of people at Walmart. For that time frame, I think certainly wearing a mask is appropriate. But if you're a healthy 21-year-old, you're just depleting resources. Also, if you're going to be wearing a mask, if anybody is going to be wearing a mask that is not immunocompromised, they're not in chemotherapy, they don't have HIV, I would say it should be the people that are the ones that have already been identified as sick. And I don't mean COVID-19 because they should be self-quarantined. I'm talking the people that have been sneezing and coughing. That would be the only other time I would say perhaps it's slightly appropriate for you to have a mask on because this is spread by droplets. Yes. Those are realistically the only times. Otherwise, social distancing, 
coughing into your arm and regular hand washing or sanitizing has been found to be more than effective at stopping the spread of COVID-19. So please stop wearing, stealing, doing whatever you have to, to get a mask. You are giving yourself a false sense of security that is actually going to hurt somebody else that needs the mask so that you can wear something that is not going to help you. Boom. I would say I said a word earlier and I think Ben's all excited. So which word was that? Apophenia. Yes. Yes. So I had not actually heard of this term and, and until Tom mentioned it and then I looked it up. And so I'm, I want you to give the definition of, of this word because it's your word. <laughs> Technically a German scientist named Conrad in 1958. It's his word though. It does make me feel super cool that Ben was like, I've never heard of that. Well, let me educate you, Ben. And now I get to educate you world. So apophenia is well let me put it in the best way possible so that everybody can understand this it is when a person is taking two ideas that are either non-connected or loosely connected and is causing them in their head to seem linked so that they can have a self-explanation of events usually this is associated with conspiracy theories or delusional episodes certainly in this case in mass hysteria a lot of people start developing this because they see one thing on the left and then they see one thing on the right and in their head those two things have now become synonymous which is not usually the case so that's what apophenia is which sounds all well and good. I think the way that I was wording it off mic before we started recording was sometimes I think people try to apply logic to an illogical situation. And so they're just looking for an explanation of why this is happening. And so then th they find this COVID-19 on one end. So then they start looking at the other end to see, well, what could have possibly caused this? And that's where they get into the conspiracy theories. So I wanted to spend a few minutes and debunk, uh, well, all of those. <laughs> I was going to say some of them, but no, we'll just all of them. Me, me, me. Look at me with my eloquent way of explaining apophenia. Me, me, me. That's all I heard out of you. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, first, there is no proof to this point, and there will probably never be any proof that this is a democratic hoax or a democratic plan to get President Trump out of office. Number one, this affects the entire world. So it's really nice that the Democrats have apparently started killing other countries. Now, you know, we're talking thousands of Italians, thousands of Chinese people just to get Trump out of office. I mean, when you look at that realistically, come on. And I would say, I don't know who thinks these other countries were volunteering to kill their own <laughs> citizens to further democratic aims. So let's just point that out. <laughs> you know, I it but again, this is a classic example of what we were just talking about is well, a bunch of people are dying and the election is coming. This must be that. And unfortunately, there have been some political figures um, that have tried to turn this into a political foil. And it's, this is not that time. If you're trying right. to connect a political view to the death and suffering of the elderly or 
people buying thousands of rolls of toilet paper for no reason, then you should be ashamed of yourself to be completely fair. (laughs) Besides the fact there's absolutely no link or evidence between this, it doesn't make a lot of sense because think of think of the thousands of people would have to be in on that conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. That never talked, that that never opened their mouth about it. So anyway, next before we get riled up on that, yeah, like um, the next Next. the next conspiracy theory is this is a way for the government to control you by asking you to stay inside your house. Yes, because then they can see how easily you can be manipulated and controlled, and therefore can do this easily in the future. No, this is about social distancing to give healthcare a chance to combat this virus before we start seeing Italy numbers before we have to, you know, people talk about, we, oh, I don't want to be in a situation where I have to turn people away. And I have told people I've had at length conversations with people That is Disaster Triage 101. Any natural disaster, any pandemic, Disaster Triage 101 is the utilitarian method, the greatest good for the greatest number of people, or the Spock method, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Exactly. We don't want to be in that situation where we are having to turn people away. So by social distancing and canceling school, and canceling colleges and canceling the NCAA tournament and everything else, we are trying to limit the number of people that get this at one time so that we have a fighting chance on the front lines of taking care of it. Plain and simple. Ben, as we are talking, an update just popped up on my phone, and I'm trying to pull it up right now, that due to... (laughs) Due to measures that China has put in place, such as social distancing, they are reporting right now that for 24 hours, they have had zero new cases. That's awesome. That is awesome news. That That gives you you hope that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Does it inconvenience people? Yes, I get that. Do you know bars closing and restaurants closing or only doing on St. Patty's Day, no less. Right. I get it. It's an inconvenience. But you know what? Everybody in healthcare is still going to work every day on the front lines, ready to combat this head on, because that's what we do. You, by allowing us to do that, and you, by doing social distancing, are giving us a fighting fucking chance. That's all I got to say. Them's the facts, Jack. So we we have proof, and I was going to talk about that, but I thought it interesting that that popped up literally while we were speaking yeah. about it. Also from South Korea, they're reporting single-digit new cases. Like they have literally went from hundreds of new cases a day to single digits by simply social distancing. Not full lockdowns, not that you can't leave your house, not that you can't walk on the street, that, hey— We're going to limit large group interactions. It is showing within weeks positive effects. 
So while COVID may or may not be around, I got a feeling this is going to turn into a seasonal flu type issue, but I don't know if this is going to be a perennial type, you know, disease that remains to be seen. Yeah. But the point is, is that when we figure out how to beat this and we will figure it out until we get that handle, we have to do a few things and we are showing positive effects by doing these very simple things. That's all it is. It's not out to get you. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants to come into your house. Nobody wants to steal your 65 inch TV for reasons that don't make any sense. They just don't want you to get sick. Well, that's the other sub conversation. So apparently there are people that believe that if people are housed, the government will know where you're at so that they can come take your gun, which doesn't make sense on so many levels. First of all, Let's just run some common sense information by you for a minute. The first people to respond to this would be local law enforcement. If it, let's say the government did want to do something, the first people would be local law enforcement. Well, guess what? Jim Bob, your neighbor, who's also the police officer, he doesn't want to take your gun. He knows you. He doesn't want you to take your gun, nor does he want to try and take it. Okay. So that's stupid fact. Number one, the size For instance, I know New York City has discussed doing a tighter lockdown for 48 hours. That's a city of eight plus million people. Eight plus. They also have the largest uniform police department in the United States at 55,000. So imagine 55,000 people trying to control and confiscate weapons from eight million people. Does that make sense to anyone on the fucking planet other than the ramshackle idiots that are spouting this shit on facebook no it's a numbers game never mind the fact they don't want it they don't have the manpower to do it even if they brought in the entire 82nd airborne division and dropped them on Times square they couldn't get this done so the belief that anybody wants your gun is ridiculous never mind the fact the government is if anything a bureaucracy so if they take your gun they're going to want to catalog it they're going to want to store it they're going to do a whole bunch of stuff they don't have anywhere to put it (laughs) so i i don't know what you think they're going to do with eight trillion rounds of ammunition and a bunch of handguns i i don't they already have it they have b2 stealth bombers what the fuck do they need your revolver for Okay, it doesn't make any damn sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it pisses me off when I hear about it because most of my family is military and or law enforcement. And on that note, if the National Guard gets deployed, which I've heard people talk about and there and there have been plans, I've talked to local ER nurses about what are they doing on the front lines to fight this and, and got some really good information and feedback, which we can talk about here in a second. If there's any areas where there is a National Guard mobilization I have not heard of any of it for enforcement of quarantine. It is purely to protect infrastructure because people have shown that they are idiots in mass. So what they were hoping to avoid is that these people, if they become even more panicked, don't try and break into Walmart and steal everything. They're trying to prevent Katrina like or post Katrina like situations. If it even happens, which it hasn't. The second thing I would like to bring up, and then I'll give this back over to Ben, because like I said, (laughs) I'm getting fired up now, is National Guard units and reserve units are usually locally based units. 
Okay. National Guard specifically are under the control of the governor of that state, which means the soldiers that you think are coming in to be jackbooted thugs and steal all your stuff are also your damn neighbors. What are they going to do after this? Look at you and be like, sorry, Frank. No, that that's not how this works. Okay. Never mind the fact that there are many different types of regulations of what they can and cannot do on American soil with soldiers. They can't just do these things. So please stop linking all these ideas together because you've heard something. The National Guard deploys after national disasters all the time. They did after Katrina. They did after Sandy. They've done after the Joplin tornado. And guess what happened? They went home. Okay. They're not here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's your neighbor. So to continually say, well, I heard. No, you didn't. You didn't. So stop. Okay, you are causing panic where none is necessary. Boom. So moving on, because Tom's getting fired up. I see that look in his eye. Um, I'm I'm chilling out. I'll let you talk about living where it lives. Yes. Yeah, that's where I was going. Yes. There's a post going around Facebook, and I've seen it multiple times. And the first few times I ignored it. And then I just it's one of those times I just I can't ignore it any longer. It is this post or several different posts saying there's proof that COVID-19 lives in your throat for three or four days. And that's why you get the scratchy throat. But if you drink lots of fluids, then what you'll actually do is just swallow that COVID-19 virus and it'll go down into your stomach and your stomach acid will dissolve it. Microbiology 101 will tell you that is complete and utter bullshit there that is not how viruses work it doesn't just hang out in your throat just looking for a ride to the lungs it no that's just not how you remember that commercial the facebook commercial where the old lady was like putting stuff on her wall and the other one was like this is not how any of this works that's how i feel with this like this is not how this works it's so what you're saying is you're expecting people to suddenly start using science and facts? I, occasionally. I mean, it would be nice. It, if that was the case, then why doesn't that work for any other virus? Why can't you swallow HIV? Why can't you swallow chickenpox? Oh, I don't know, because you can't. Because that's not how it works. Well, Ben, if yes. that's true, then why does my throat hurt? I'm bullshitting you. I already know why your throat hurts. Because you're coughing a bunch. Okay, so here's the deal. As he said before, that's not how viruses work. If your throat becomes sore, it's not because a bunch of viruses decided to shack up there like it's Soho, okay? (laughs) What they're doing, right, is you are getting a sore throat probably due to post-nasal drainage and a combination of that with coughing. That's most likely what's happening, okay? It has nothing to do with how the virus disseminates within your body or a strategy for defeating it. Okay. So please, if you see this information, realize that the person posting it clearly has no idea what they're talking about. And I don't care if it's a nurse. I don't care who it is. If you see them posting that realize that person has let the cheese slide right off the cracker and they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. All right. That is fact 
truth. There is. And when people try to say, well, I'm like, there is no well. Stop talking. If you're going to try and justify this in some way, we're done having a conversation. I don't mind if somebody has an opinion other than mine, but you do not get to make up facts that are untrue. That is a completely untrue fact. That is very true that it's untrue. (laughs) Thank you. It's true that Uh, it's not true that I heard once. Social media is a good thing to get information out. The problem is people use it to get misinformation out because they want to be cool. I guess. I don't know why people do shit like that. It doesn't make any sense. Look at the source of where the information is coming from. And I don't mean the person who's posting it or sharing it. I mean, if it's a website, you know, if it's a dot go, like the who.int or it's cdc.gov or it's kdhe.gov, if it's a legitimate government website, the evidence is probably there. If it's, you know, blogsport.net who, you know, Joe Bob says that you can pee out the coronavirus. Look at the source. Look at the source. And I was going to say, so, you know, Joe Bob, the guy that just posted this, who says he knows how to beat coronavirus. And you saw him drink gasoline one time on a dare. Probably not the same guy you want to get your medical information from. Okay. Because I have some dear friends that I really think are great people, but I also saw them try to drink an entire gallon of milk one time at a party because somebody said they couldn't. I'm not going to trust them to tell me what is happening next. Okay. That's clearly not the person you want to be getting your information from. And I would say there are non government websites like the Journal of American, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, the British Medical Journal. I think Ben's point is that you need to make sure that it's a source of information that is trusted and not something that says uh, speedyfacts.com. Like probably not where you want to get your information from when the other side of it is the CDC. Yeah, basically. So I mean, I think that kind of wraps up where we wanted to go with this update episode. What? Hold on. Oh, did I, forget I actually... Yeah, we, 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 we wanted to talk about two other things we wrote down. The first thing is the last conspiracy theory, and we don't have to break into it a lot, is that this is a bioterrorism oh, weapon. Yeah. I am not a bioterrorism expert, nor am I an infectious diseases expert, but I happen to know people that are, <laughs> and I would tell you that it is unrealistic bordering impossible that this is a bioterrorism weapon. I can't say a hundred percent. I don't think we would ever know if it was a hundred percent. No, I can tell you that there are things that governments, and this is purely from the clinical side. Like if you take all emotion out of this from a clinical standpoint that a government would be looking at to deploy a bioterrorism weapon, I don't think that this would be the most effective means of deploying that weapon. And honestly, that's one of the first things that made me think, no, this isn't it. Because if they found a way to micronize and weaponize a virus to deploy, there would be much more efficient methods to infect the masses than what we are doing. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you look at it realistically, from a bioterrorism type standpoint, the the fatality rate's just not there with this that you would typically think you would see with a bioterroristic weapon. Like the majority of people who get this disease are going to have mild to no symptoms. Well, that's 
you've defeated the point of your weapon if people are mildly discomforted for a few days. Exactly. Also, the target group that if you are designing a weapon of mass destruction at this level, let's say they did. I could see them designing a weapon that had no symptoms for several days. That sure. That's not what I'm talking about. The target population would be the youth or the young, healthy. Yeah. Or like the 20 to 30. Yes. Year olds. Yes. The, the age group is all wrong. The rate of transmission is all wrong. This has to be primarily spread person to person, though. We have found some information about how this lives on surfaces, but the means of dispersal, etc., as using this as a weapon just doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I don't know. Three months from now, we could go, holy shit, we were wrong. It's possible. Yeah. I will tell you, though, based on the information that is currently available to us is highly unlikely bordering the criminal to keep repeating that this could be a bioterrorism weapon that's being used against us. Again, I I cannot tell you with 100% certainty, but I will tell you I'm not going to lose any sleep tonight worried about this being a bioterrorism weapon. Well, and I think the reason some of that initially came out, even if you look at the, the statistics now, there is one country that is not reporting any statistics as far as any COVID-19 cases, North Korea. Uh, that doesn't mean, A, they don't have cases, or B, that they made a bioterrorism weapon out of it. It just means that he's yeah. not going to play well with the rest of the world as has been very well demonstrated. Yes, they're called the Hermit Kingdom for a reason. They could be having millions of deaths in North Korea at this point. We won't know. Okay. Yeah. So don't expect us to find out that information. Uh, also, another reason that doesn't make a lot of sense is the first attack and initial wave, which is usually going to be the most devastating, would have been on their only ally, China. So a kid that wouldn't make a lot of sense to say, hey, big brother, you're the only person helping to protect me and then punch them in the balls. It doesn't really <laughs> seem to make a lot of sense at this point in time, um, especially with the rate of transmission that it just there. No, there's no facts that support it. And I really abhor reading people say that stuff. Because you're trying to put fuel on a fire. That's all you're doing, pure and simple. So I think we got bioterrorism slightly yeah, covered there. Did, yeah. I'm not a bioterrorism expert, but I, I feel confident we did a good job of covering that, or at least giving a, a brief yeah. outline. I wouldn't actually mind doing a whole bioterrorism thing. That would be pretty cool. That's that's kind of my, like, oh, that's up my wheelhouse. I, I think I'd be into that. But I, I do want to point out one last little thing, and then we can start wrapping this up. I heard a amazing guest on a podcast. The podcast was Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Great yeah, uh, source of information if you're into astrophysics. Not so much usually if you're into medicine, though he does sometimes cover healthcare-related topics. He does have some other uh, guests on. In particular, a Dr. Redliner, and I hope I'm not butchering that name, he is the director of the National Center for Disaster Preparedness. So not exactly a guy that's out of the know. Like, he's up to date. Okay, he spouted off some information that is just some pretty common sense that I'll be honest, 
I was looking at purely the numbers, and so far, we're hovering around roughly a 3% fatality rate for the COVID-19 infection. What he pointed out, and I thought was amazing for those that are sitting at home worried about this, for those here in America and those listeners around the world, I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say. We are basing all of our numbers off what we know now. That is off confirmed cases, suspected cases, etc. We know roughly 80% of the people that are going to be infected with this are either mild symptoms, which may be missed as COVID-19, or are completely asymptomatic. As four New Jersey net professional basketball players just found out when they were tested with no symptoms, and they were told they have COVID-19. That also happened today or yesterday. The point being is that the 3% fatality rate is based off the number of deaths divided by the total number of known cases we have now, which gives us that 3%. Based on all the information that we've talked about and the 80% of people that may have mild to no symptoms, it is very likely that the amount of people infected with COVID-19 is much, much, much larger than the 291,000 confirmed cases worldwide. Okay, that's a very realistic and very stable guess that I can't tell you how many multiples, but I can tell you it's much larger likely than 291,000 people, which means we know who died. We know that number. We have them. What we don't know is the total number of people infected because we have a shortage of tests. We have a shortage of capability of getting those tests run. And we have people who have no symptoms. Yeah. Yes. And we have people that have no symptoms that aren't even requiring testing. So there is a very real chance a much larger denominator is out there, which means if we knew the real number divided by the number of deaths, the survivability rate goes from 97% to probably over 99. So if you are sitting out there and you are quaking in your boots, think about that, that it already has a 97% survivability rate on the worst things that we know now. When in reality, there is a greater chance that this is not as fatal as we thought it was or have the information to project. I'm not saying don't take it serious. I'm not saying don't wash your hands or protect your loved ones. What I'm trying to convey to you is that you may be making this much harder and worse on yourself than is needed. We already have a long, hard road to hoe ahead of us. Let's not try and make it harder. That's all I want to get across. No, I think that's a valid point. And, you know, I mean, I think statistics are are great. And I think, you know, 99% survivability rate or even a 97% survivability rate. Tell you're that one that is the death, you know, then that's kind of, shitty for you correct or i mean and i don't i mean i say that kind of somewhat in jest but i want to transition that into a thank you to those people who are er nurses our clinic nurses our clinic providers or er providers our providers in the icus uh, healthcare across the board that you're stepping up you're going out you are combating this disease knowing that we have no immunity to it and you're doing that for the greater good and to take care of people and that's what we've all signed up for. 
Exactly. And and honestly, I want to give a shout out to the people behind the scenes, the Dr. Red Lenners of the world, the scientists that are replicating these diseases in Atlanta at the CDC, the people that are never going to be known. You're never going to know their name. Well, yeah. obviously, Dr. Red Lenner, but, <laughs> you know, the, the scientists, the scientists replicating these viruses so that we can study them. They also, one, are usually putting their lives at risk because they are directly handling the hazardous material. Two, they are what makes it possible for people such as Ben and I to then project that care out to the public. So I hope when this is over, America takes a America in the world. Let's let, let's let's broaden that spectrum. You know, the world takes a step back and says, OK, what happened <laughs> And how do we keep that from happening again? And honestly, I think the human race is pretty good at that. I think that's part of our evolutionary process is we go, hey, that was not fun. I want to make that not happen to me again. Yeah, and, and we'll learn from I it. Can, I, I think we will. And I just hope that we put those processes in place because my child doesn't understand what's going on. And I don't want him to ever be in a spot where he has to do this again. Right. So. Truth be told, are there going to be, is there going to be a Corona 20, you know, coronavirus 22 or a coronavirus 25 or, uh, you know, a H1 or, you know, H17 and 15. I mean, whatever. Is there going to be 5-teen. another? Yeah. I think that isn't just for you. Uh, that's a bad one. The N15. Yeah, bad. Cool. I heard about that. Um, but I mean, there's always going to be something down the pipe, but we will get better and we will learn how to make the response better each time. You know, it's, it sucks that China has such a high number of deaths. It sucks that Italy has such a high number of deaths, but every other country is learning from that and are taking the steps to try to mitigate that disease process. And that's because of, like Tom said, the scientist in the background, uh, and that gives everybody in healthcare the fighting chance to to beat this. Everybody out there who's doing stuff in the background, on the front lines, whatever the case may be, continue doing what you're doing. We here at JSP, we love you. We're on the front lines with you. We love you. For all the people that went to the stores and only bought one six-pack of toilet paper because that's all they needed, JSP loves you. That's right, yeah. Especially when I'm using unmatched socks to wipe my ass. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, not. <laughs> we have to I'm telling you, I get to the point where I'm wiping my ass with brawny paper towels. I'm going to be surly. It's not going to be pleasant. I'm just uh, throwing it out there. Anyway, on that note, I, you know, we had a little kind of some laughs and we got some good information out. We're going to continue to do this and we'll continue to try to put out regular episodes as well because, well, we like talking to each other and seven of you out there that like yeah. listening. So, <laughs> And Bjorn. And Bjorn, Bjorn, hopefully Bjorn's safe. I hope Bjorn, I hope Bjorn's safe. Bjorn, let us know. We're worried about you, Bjorn. On that note, I do want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Falcon 5.0 for allowing us to use their music. I also need to thank Kevin McLeod for use of the music that we used on this episode. If you need royalty-free music for your podcast or YouTube video or anything that you happen to be doing, go check out Kevin McLeod's website. It's filmmusic.io. So anyway, again, if you're out there on the front lines in the background. Thank you for what you're doing and stay safe and have a good copacetic week. I would say stay safe, but Ben already did. Well, you can stay at two. It's okay. It doesn't mean it's, it's worthless now, Ben. 
I, I won't say it anymore. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Wear your mask. Wash your damn hands. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Later. Stay safe. <laughs>